Hello friends, it's Matt, you're listening to episode 91 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's the show where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for tuning into this episode and I hope you enjoy it. One for the originals, this one, as I'm going right back to the roots of the podcast in this episode. If you've been here from the start, you'll know how relevant that and other related endeavours part of my tagline is. Because over the months, yeah, I've interviewed some of the biggest names in our little world, sure. But I've also shone a light on some stories that you might not perhaps know about. And I've introduced you to names that I'm pretty sure would have been unfamiliar to you until you found out about them on this show. And it's a really important part of the Looking Sideways ethos, this. After all, I started the podcast in an effort to uncover some of the stories I felt were being ignored by most action sports media and to talk to people who I thought were deserving of a wider audience. This week's guest definitely falls into that category. It's Neil Haynes, a photographer, although that just description doesn't do Neil anything like the justice that he deserves, given the life he's led for the past 30 years, really. Now, I won't go too much into the specifics here, as Neil tells the story much more entertainingly than I'll be able to. But this is a truly picaresque tale, not picturesque. That's the English lit graduate in me coming out there. Which sees Neil, a man definitely born under a lucky star, forge a truly remarkable career that takes in some of the uh, key popular culture moments of our generation, really. Um, he was around at the birth of Loaded and Lad Mag, Lad Mag Culture, easy for me to say, as one of the uh, founding photographers. He set up a groundbreaking action sports stock library um, at just the right time. And basically, he's garnered enough shameless name-dropping anecdotes over the course of this career to give DJ Barbecue, previous Looking Sideways name-drop world record holder, some serious competition. Neil's the kind of guy that when you ask him a question, starts his answer this way. Well, when I was shooting Spielberg, and uh, it doesn't really let up from there, really. Yep, this is a romp of a conversation in which Neil outlines the entire story really and there's also a couple of very salutary lessons in there which apply to everybody no matter what they're trying to achieve in life which is cheesy as fuck but you know it's a podcast you've got to give them relatable moments every now and again uh, and I had another reason reason for wanting to interview Neil and it was an entirely selfish one sure it's nice to embark upon a three-week road trip around California travel to Innsbruck for an interview and all that stuff which I'm looking up to do but sometimes it's equally nice to step out the house in Brighton hop on a train to London and sit down with an old mate who you know has got one of the maddest most incident packed and downright successful careers of anybody that you know so that's what I did um, we went to this mad bar in the middle of London called the Garden Bar I believe which had the best view of the city I can remember seeing and pretty much a wind tunnel for a balcony which is where we ended up doing the interview yes there are some of our old friend Atmospherics in the background of this one, which I hope you can put up with. But I had a great laugh doing this one. Neil's a ledge, great to see him. We had a very, very fun few hours catching up. Here it is, me and Neil Haynes. Enjoy. So I'm with Neil and um, we're in a mental bar. Where are we? We are on the 10th floor of Charing Cross Road. It's an incredible, it's a very unusual bar overlooking London. It's got an incredible view. 
um, especially on daylight today. I, I've never a didn't know it existed and b never seen a view of London like this. I don't think it's absolutely amazing. Probably not the most ideal medium for a view a podcast, but um, yeah, nice spot. A little bit noisy, but I'm sure sure we'll go over it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so how you doing? You've um, yeah, great, great. You we, last time we chatted, you were in the Maldives, right? Yeah, I um each year we go a group of us on a boat trip surf boat across the Maldives for a couple of weeks every year every year right uh, the guys that I go with very similar sort of age midlife crisis looking for some adventure for a couple of weeks away from the family it's incredible you really can't beat Maldives surf boat surf trip in my adventures it's really up there really great waves great weather good fun healthy so you do the same boat every year I've done different boats but for the last five years yeah the same boat right and this is the what is it the Swiss one it's the surfboat.ch yeah because I'm trying to currently get a group together to, to do it it really see. is well, when I saw right. a picture of you getting barreled I was like well, you know we're kind of like <laughs> it, the waves this year <laughs> it looks were like a bit of me incredible they're really it's amazing you it's so picturesque dolphins and turtles around and you're sort of driving by islands that are postcard idyllic it, it's great it really is and the waves are great not too big yeah look, not too small it's, look, it's perfect look kind of friendly like you know right side of you could get scared if you wanted to but yeah this year actually got a little bit scary for me got a right. bit out of my comfort zone but it was it was great yeah so and because you do you go with the same people every year like no no it's a different um a couple of us uh repeat visitors but um no it's a different crowd and it's pretty international so it's, it's a good it's a pretty good setup right so you do it every year it's a different group yeah, um, but how do you square that with two weeks away with uh, your family commitments? That's, that's quite a quite a good look, isn't it? I honestly have no answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> she must be shagging the gardener or something. <laughs> it's quite understanding <laughs> what was going on. <laughs> but yeah, I've got three kids, so um, it's they're twelve, fourteen, and sixteen now. So not so hard to look after, but still, it's. It's good getting away. Yeah. Nice. And you still got your place down in Cornwall? Yeah, I'm down in Cornwall a lot over the summer. Yeah, because you've got uh, a place in St Agnes, right? That's right, yeah. Which is wh- where we normally bump into each other, basically. Exactly. And you've done Tom from Finisterre down there. Done Tom from Finisterre. He's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always trying to get Steve England every time I'm down there. Yeah, I was with Steve the other week. Yeah. Right, He's yeah. Every time, every time I see Steve, I'm like, come on, let's get you on the podcast. And he's always a bit like... Oh, I've got nothing to talk about, and I'm yeah, like, just bring a sleeping bag. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he's got loads to talk about. Oh my god, yeah, he's been. In, I mean, he's, he's about 150. He's got so <laughs> many stories. He's a Cornish legend. Yeah, he's got all the stories. But you're like pretty, you know, second home down there, right? I love it. I've been going down there since I met Steve and some of the other classic sort of British surfers of the time, Gabe Davis, who you probably know. Yeah, you, you know Patagonia. Gabe really well, don't you? And, yeah. um, so I met those guys when there was a film called Blue Juice, yeah. which had 
Ewan McGregor. Sean, Sean Pertwee. Sean Pertwee. My demographic knows this film, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Only just. I don't yeah. think it was a big seller. <laughs> and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah. Pre-Michael pre Douglas. Pre uh, Douglas fame. Uh, like the, the post-Darling Buds and May. That was the big post-Darling Buds and May break, yes, right? Yes, I would say so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. McGregor about 19, innit? He was completely unknown. Yeah. So what were you doing? on? What, what? So I was doing a story a couple of different magazines and I did some pictures I think stills for the film we went for the actual uh, proper surf scenes they needed good waves so we decamped to Lanzarote uh, La Santa who did you shoot that for? because I remember reading an article about wow. that from that from that trip where because because he got um he got body doubled, obviously, didn't he, Sean Pertwee? Cause well, Steve England is the body double, I don't know if you remember, the fat guy. <laughs> <laughs> this Steve is why I want to get Steve, Steve hate me now. This is why I want to get Steve on the podcast. I'm going to say that he put a pillow down his front <laughs> for his sake. <laughs> but he was the body double for him. And I think Gabe Davis was Sean Pertwee's character. Right. And there's another guy, Rob Small, um, a big character down in Cornwall, who probably was you and I can't... I, we hadn't seen the film at that point and um, I can't really remember was who it played who. Was it shot in Aggie or St. Ives? It was based on... S the guy that wrote it was an English guy and um, it was based on s sort of St. Agnes. They used to be sort of these crazy parties near the tin mines. Yeah. And a sort of love scene. Um and the sort of ro yeah romantic sort of story around it, which obviously not Steve, but um, <laughs> he. Um, but the yeah, like I say, the action as it was shot through the summer, they they wanted pretty much to guarantee some waves, so it was shot in La Santa. Lanzarote doubled for for yeah. Cornwall. Yeah, yeah. So you, so you just went on that to shoot it, and that's how you met all those. guys. And that's how I met those guys. And right. then I was so going rewinding a little way. Um, by that point, I was shooting for magazines but then syndicating the images as well so trying to get as many hits on the sort of apple as you can on sort of each shoot so previous to that i started out i guess as um i'd loved surfing anyway as i grew up my dad surfed right are you from like South no, I'm, I'm actually from london yeah that's what i thought yeah yeah right but so my dad, my dad, when windsurfing was discovered, we had one of those really early, fifteen foot rigs. Rigs, yeah. <laughs> and um, I remember going to Docklands. When I was probably about five or something. Right. Pulling up one of those triangle, sure, horrible like sails. Eighties urban windsurfing. Yeah, 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 yeah. In a white wetsuit. Yeah. With like pop poppers. Try to pull that lever it up That's covered right. in water yeah. I, know, I know the scene yeah so my, my sounds dad. like Sail Water Park in Manchester where we all did that yeah, yeah I'd imagine pretty similar yeah right so that's so, so your dad was into it and that was kind of what yeah he was very, very sporty and he still is still plays tennis and um, lots of different other sort of water sports but but yeah he uh, was very big on sailing windsurfing surfing anything to do with the water really right so you used to go down there so yeah grew up sort of doing a lot of snowboarding um lot of surfing and stuff down in Cornwall. Right, okay. And down in Hossegore, actually, in the sort of summer holidays. Right. 
So when did the uh, photography stuff kind of start then? Because obviously we kind of jumped in at a point where you already got like a career and you know well, you started to talk about your syndication thing, but obviously... Well, it's actually a good... Pr- my, my dad... Well, so when we used to go on uh, summer holidays down to Cabreton and Hossigore and Bay Ritz, um, sort of family summer holidays, they, um, I remember watching... We'd gone to watch probably the Rip Curl Pro or Quicksilver Pro or one of those on a sort of day out. And um, I remember seeing a photographer on the beach who actually turned out to be Alex Williams. Right. Um, the English photographer, sort of. And um, I remember sort of seeing these guys shooting the surfing. And then there was a swimsuit competition on the beach that also the photographers were shooting. I remember thinking, this looks... Like a good career path. <laughs> you had the, you had the kind of the yeah. the road to that Damascus the <laughs> <laughs> moment, golden moment, like the Blues Brothers, like yeah. in the in the aisle, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and to be honest, it didn't go bad from there. Yeah, right. And it panned out. And it panned out okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, right. So yeah. So we went from there, and I. So when I came back, I was still at secondary school. I, when it came to doing, work experience, I went to, a couple of different sports photo agencies the biggest being all sport which was globally the biggest in the world at that point right and and that was proactive you wanted to do that i wanted to be yeah a surf photographer or a oh, photographer. right okay so i didn't really realize that so it was, it was the you, you were trying to do it you were trying to find your way yeah i th- I'd probably 15 at that point okay I guess. right so it wasn't like they were like right haynes you'll go to the photography agency <laughs> yeah, no, no. right 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 so yeah, because yeah, I did work experience at a paper in yeah. Manchester. Because I was the same thing. I really wanted to do it. I really wanted to be a journalist. So I was kind of thought, well, I'm going to give that a go. I know? really think it's the best opportunity you could ever have. You, When you do work experience at that age, there's no intimidation. No one's intimidated by you. So they share their yeah, deepest, darkest secrets. They help. Yeah, same. Yeah. And you've really sponge it up can uh, yeah really absorb and learn a lot in a short time right which is what happened to you and so i i i loved it i they in the straight away i was going off to football games as being a, a british sports photo agency they shot everything so one week you'd be shooting the boxing one week you'd be you know e- each day would be something else so and then I l- on weekends, apart from when I, th- I went to college to then do photography and media, which was a big thing at that point, everyone did. And um, through college, I went on weekends and shot as much as I could. And right. they paid for all the film and processing. And I was getting to hang around with amazing photographers, but the best in the world. So it was amazing seeing all of their films going through they would come whatever events around the world were on so us open tennis or f1 from really glamorous events from around the world you would go into this little office which was based in sort of uh, collier's wood south london and you would see these amazing photographers bringing their work through and you were seeing that it coming out of the machine and then putting on the light box and looking through these pictures but iconic well, you know, world-class, amazing pictures from events around the world that they had flown in from. It really was. It, it, I wanted to do it, and that was right. what really 
track me in. Okay. So what? So that was the kind of the first experience. What was you, what was sort of your first break then to get into what you're doing now? Because it sounds like you were probably the kind of kid that was ready to do a bit of hustling as well, like ready to take your take your opportunity. If I know anything about you, you know what I mean, like to <laughs> to kind of take but see the opportunity and sort of go for it, right? And well, there. I so I we started on this. Um, yeah, I was shooting at weekends. Started to assist. Um, through college and then as college came to an end I um, went as a junior I got a job as a junior photographer there and um, I'd met I loved surfing and I'd seen some snowboarding um, sort of pictures sort of starting to arise and I met this guy I think it was the snowboard uh, Olympia the ski and snowboard event yeah the show I met Graham Chalmers, who I'm going to say, without checking details, was the entire snowboard, British snowboard team and coach. He, in, he was the whole thing. I, I don't even point. know the name. I've got to be honest. Like, so, he, so this is I what, early, early 90s? 92? Right. 93? Something like that. I was about 18. I was turning 18, I guess. Right. So what, you just popped down there and met this guy? So he said, oh, come down and take some pictures. Right. And that was in... Flynn, Flynn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flynn, and um, off I went. Got some, looked like amazing, amazing, amazing weather. Him going off sort of cliff drops and all sorts of stuff. And then, could you ride? I could snowboard. I could ski. I'd done ski holidays right with the school, but terrible. But I went down there for a couple of weeks and just winged it. He had some (laughs) awful little crappy apartment as i remember yeah and i Sounds probably like slept in the bath or something like that yeah classic. and um but it didn't care it was i was just couldn't wait to take pictures it was just amazing being in the snow taking pictures of you know i knew that they were it was it was is it, it in, was nothing i'd seen is it in the book yeah we've so got neil's I've, book here um, I've got a which I'm gonna, sort of book which i'm gonna use for my own visual reference which as we do this again not so one of the shots I've got so of this is Graham. The, so this is night. I'm going to put these on the Insta ones that I um, kind of refer to. So that that's from this shoot. So this yeah. is like classic neon. Um, what could be shot yesterday, apart from that, really? Yeah. So this a, is one it, of your first kind of. Yeah, it's um aerial view looking down. At clean, off piste. Nice day. Beautiful day. Yeah slashing through the snow very clean simple shot but perfect did you so you sold that you sold those shots so i came back processed the pictures for free still uh at at college this, <laughs> uh, the, no no not uh, by this stage um a junior at the little agency S- uh, sure, photo right. agency yeah and um entered them for the press awards and uh they they came runner up in the press awards right I thought this is looks this looks good. I I think this could be a a market and um but at the time no no one it seemed to be especially in London was shooting anything like that. No. So it's even before try to think who else would have been shooting then there was people obviously shooting in UK snowboarding but real sceney still like not it, like people I mean, selling there was no snowboard mags even then well snowboard uk had started 91 i'm gonna say really 
I reckon, yeah. And I think maybe 9192, Eddie listens to this, so he'll, he'll no doubt pop up on Facebook and correct me if I'm wrong. But then White Lines definitely came out 95. There was a magazine called Snowboard World. I did pictures for all of them. Yeah, exactly, but that's what I mean. So later, people like Nick and oh yeah like yeah. would would sell to mainstream but this is yeah. probably about the first example of that isn't it really so chod who also you know yeah yeah and work through the different magazines commissioned me for a fashion shoot on snowboard uk i, I reckon that might have been snowboard world or snowboard world yeah but they but this is this era right yeah so this is like early very so early very 90s. early 90s yeah and then i remember going on a couple of trips down to the alps shooting some I guess we just shots just sort of set up stuff and that would be where I probably met started to meet people um, around that scene like um, Stu Brass and all those sort of guys yeah and Christian Stevenson who I know has been on the podcast yeah who's just done everything as far as I can work out <laughs> and um, <laughs> and he I, yep. I, Another I came across CV. him throughout <laughs> my uh, the, throughout the nineties quite a lot on different things. Yeah, amazing guy. Like you'd be you'd be like, oh, do you it, want to go and shoot this music it, video? It's just amazing. <laughs> and then he's the director. Like. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in America making a movie, and I'd be come across him or yeah. the X Games. Or yeah, something. there's there's a man who's definitely wore many hats. Yeah, yeah. So um, so at that point, yeah, I went through and, but I was still a junior at a mainstream sports agency so shooting you could be one week at Wimbledon the next week at a Tyson fight right the next week photographing football or the FA Cup or I had no interest whatsoever or I still have no interest in mainstream sports at all no it's gonna make sure our bags on mid next no they're not so rugby cricket football I really know nothing, even though I've been to yeah all of the events that you'd want. But no, I've no um, no real interest. No, right. So, but that's what you were doing. You still had this job. You were kind of being sent so to these yeah. Things. So I but I could see that. So the picture library, the very well learnt formula. Um, you take pictures and you sell them to as many people as you can. Yeah, yeah. And there's your living. That's a photo agency, all sport. Who now? Who was then later bought by Getty? the biggest uh, picture library in the world was then they would take they would go to an event shoot it and syndicate it make money go to the next event and do that and then they would be covering all sorts of events so at by that point i was shooting mainstream events but i wanted to shoot more free sports skateboarding to everything by by 94 the first x games in rhode island so um, off I went to there and shot this, you know, these never before seen yeah, crazy right. sports. Yeah, proper like for mainstream the, at, magazines. At the time, like, what is this? <laughs> laying, laying down on a skateboard and doing 100 miles an hour. Pretty mental now, but really mental then. And um, all these other, you know, wakeboarding to everything was seemed so new and magazines mainstream magazines by then were starting to pop up so we had a few sort of sports magazines that i could sell to and we had um one called sky magazine yeah i remember that so it was the pre 
loaded FHM Maxim generation. That, that, that was like a sort of face light, wasn't it? Sort yeah, of thing. exactly. Uh, yeah. So that all happened. And then I got this amazing call out the blue from a magazine called Loaded. They had used some of my snowboarding pictures of Graham Chalmers <laughs> in the dummy issue for Loaded and phoned the magazine, uh, sorry, phoned the agency where they got the pictures, All Sport, and asked, they wanted to do a surfing feature in the Canaries, where, where did the, who was the photographer that shot these, you know, could they help? And the, photog uh, the, uh, the guy on the picture desk, a guy called Martin Johnson, should have just referred one of their staff photographers but said no that was a junior photographer who's only like 18 gave them my mobile number and said he's a freelancer you know maybe give him a call so the magazine phoned me which was a absolute career starter yeah right really and they said okay we got this do you want to go 10 days out to the canaries do this surfing story got quite a good budget it's going to be like a load of us it's going to be like a, a little sort of boys holiday and as it turned out it was an amazing introduction to the men's lads mags generation of the 90s it was um tim southwell james brown martin Deeson, all of the sort of guys that went on to revolutionize really men's mags of the 90s so and you were a lot with bill right as well and bill burrows yeah sorry and the, who were later ended up actually living with for my sins yeah but um so following, it, following that surf trip though yeah it was it was so good um it, and we really had a great time all bonded did some good male bonding we came back and by then the the first issue had just launched which had outsold expectations to ipc publishing at the time they well, thought it, was, it wasn't going to sell and it they was just massive wasn't it it, it could have they could have printed like three times the amount yeah. or something it was so they phoned up and they, a week later they, they phoned up and they said, hey, I don't know what you're doing next week, but do you fancy going out and doing the Beastie Boys in L.A.? <laughs> and it was like, wow, this is amazing. And still, I can still picture really getting those, that call and calls like it. As a photographer or a freelancer, you cannot believe that someone's phoned up with this concept of doing something that you really want to do and they're going to pay you and put you on a really nice plane, nice hotel and feed you and send you around the world or whatever it was. So like this one to LA and you're going to go on this crazy adventure apart from the story that were amazing these different sort of crazy stories that you'd end up on and the amazing adventures surrounding the shoot which were always normally better actually than the actual shoot than what you ended up publishing yeah were <laughs> the, the you know the, the story of getting to the shoot or yeah. what happened after the shoot sort of thing but they're um, amazing i mean amazing amazing times and that really at that point so there was that was 1994 it was the really like getting in it was as oasis started yeah it really was like we were in a pop band ourselves a rock band ourselves and it was we were on tour yeah well i mean it was 
you know, wanky as it is, it was like cool Britannia, Britpop, all that, wasn't it? Like, oh, amazing. Uh, and also like a real, when you look back, because obviously, you know, we've both worked in media for 20 odd yeah. years or whatever, and you and you look back at that and it was kind of the, the heyday of like, a budgets, advertising, you know, people having money, people still following that kind of old school model where you say there's money to throw around and you lot were like squarely in the right place at the right time to capitalise on that, weren't you? And a total, you know, in the publishing industry, in the media industry, like the right idea at the right time. It was incredible. And I can't thank the guys really who started that enough. I mean, I was 19. It was incredible. I was suddenly thrust into crazy situations all over the each week was right okay we're off to you know someone's given us a yacht and we're going to go to thailand for a week and do a torture festival and then the next week would be hey who wants to go to a windsurfing event in sponsored by a cigarette brand in barbados and then the next week who wants to meet you know the god george best in, in, and they would be non-stop for years these crazy crazy adventures bearing in mind I was underage to even drink in America at that point yeah you were young right I was, I was 19 yeah and it it was an, a roller coaster of a time so it really was what, what stands out as a as a particular memory from them because you know like right. I know some of those trips you've done and there, there are there are countless examples aren't there wow it I mean or what from, or from what, that time what pictures stand out God, as well I can't even th- I have to have looked through that book but it really wow it was it I mean going to Australia for a month I remember Foster's just on a sheer budget they gave it something like 50 grand to a couple of 20 year olds <laughs> to go and find some stories in Australia and no no other no other brief no other brief than yeah. that off you go and it really what a crazy idea you know and it, it was like going on holiday with your friend with a limitless budget on business class flights yeah it was I came from I didn't I'd never travelled really before that I'd been around Europe a bit with my family but suddenly I was in Japan or New York every month you know it was a crazy crazy time so how long did you do that for because you were effectively like one of the staff photographers right yeah there was a team of us really that did most of the stories and um, throughout the sort of mid 90s it was a back to back but then as the uh, lads mag goes, you know, Maxim launched and FHM and the, the, the battle of the, whereas there was the battle of the bands with Blur and Oasis, there was the battle of the magazines was at the same point. Well, it and transformed the market, didn't it, Loaded, basically. because It really it, did, yeah. Because I remember what FHM was like before, for example, because it was called like For Him magazine, wasn't it? That's it was right, like yep. super square, like, you know, really formal sort of yeah. suit reviews and stuff and like yeah i don't think it was a particularly um and, and loaded came in didn't it and basically like completely changed it was an amazing it the had, landscape of, of how it had comedians on the cover yeah it, it gave access to incredible incredible 
people and stories. It would have, you know, one one month would have like Evil Knievel on the cover. They'd have these incredible, incredible, great journalists. Yeah, and it, was, like it was brilliant. Proper, it was really brilliant. Proper names on there. Annoyingly, as the '90s wore on, I the budgets suddenly money really gets involved and um like everything and then uh, the publishers then want more and more of what there is so they they get greedy and it, it, it sort of started to change a little bit towards the end of the 90s but by then i had already started to branch out to work for the other men's magazines to from esquire to maxim and i'd I'd work for marie claire all there were so many magazines at that point yeah it was a crazy crazy time that were all paying money and had budgets and yeah and we so you were doing buzz pitches as well at this point like the syndication thing that had also taken off in in parallel to this so at that yeah sort of as the nine as the sort of late 90s came in i was still shooting surfing snowboarding and i was getting hired for snowboarding like i did the arctic challenge and um you know again like all of your if you like your heroes of whatever sport so at the time you're sean whites and your terriers and all that sort of stuff for snowboarding and then you go to a surfing event and there would be a kelly slater and you got to hawaii with laird hamilton i was photographing all these different amazing people as well as doing the x games and winter x games which is then sort of the spin-off of the x games and um so i was i had all these back catalog of all of the big names from every different sort of free sport and I was selling, syndicating those to different magazines. Yeah. And I couldn't control, there wasn't, a, I, I was, I had, I had a sort of picture library from having that experience of working at the photo libraries. So I knew that you could syndicate the pictures and make good money. So you do one shoot and get four times the fee. But I also was taking so many pictures at that point as well. So late in the nineties, with three agents from one of the picture agencies we set up a company called buzz pictures and we got an office in putney overlooking putney uh, putney bridge and started to syndicate other photographers i got in i had a good knowledge of different photographers from around the world that i'd met on surfing and snowboarding and skateboarding events and i had a huge catalog back catalog then of all these different events and so we contacted all the other photographers the internet was kicking off yeah and right place right time right again. place right time we had ted Grambui, the surf photographer yeah we had got tim mckenna in indonesia nick well, hamilton shooting snowboarding i remember yeah well and, you, and well, everyone well, you could think and of. you had the network as well of athletes because of all the stuff you'd done exactly on, on the athletes and those jobs that you were doing were you did you have that reputation amongst this kind of more mainstream media as like the kind of the, the, the action sports guy? Did you get those jobs because it was like, I will send Neil because he's, he's the yeah. guy that does that? I definitely was not the best free sports photographer on any of those. So snowboarding, I would never, or surfing, I would never say I was the best at any individual. I just had across the board knowledge and I had 
the background of having worked at picture libraries. Yeah. So I knew how to syndicate images. You had that. You had the know-how. And I knew, and I, oh, by that stage, I had the background of working for lots of different magazines, so, and newspapers. So that took me a slightly different course, although I, I loved shooting all of those, and I loved snowboarding and loved surfing and, and skateboarding. So I, and still to this day, I still do all of those, but I just, in the same way, you know, like Nick Hamilton lived snowboarding. I was never had any intention to live snowboarding. Yeah, so yeah. I knew I was never going to be the best yeah. on that, but I knew what made a nice picture. Yeah. And if you have all the right elements, if you have a great snowboarder in a great location with the right equipment, and they know what they're doing. It's like they say, surround, you, surround yourself with people who know what you're doing. Well, I mean, you've, you had the commercial sense, basically, didn't you? Which presumably came from the experience that you, that you were getting from when you were young. Because, you know, you said you started yeah. out working in these agencies and stuff when you're like 18. And that's just that's a commercial environment, isn't it? You know, it's obviously a, cut in, a cutthroat. It's a, it's a very like, simple business model. Yeah. But if you know it and you know what works... Yeah. And then you can take that as you did and graft it onto this kind of scene, which didn't really have that. You got a winner, aren't you? Well, it was actually at that time. Now it would be a lot easier. But at that time, it was very difficult for photographers to syndicate in that manner for lots of different reasons. Why we had, why I had a good setup. You wasn't shooting, dig this is way before digital. So you were shooting on transparency or slide. You'd have to, it was expensive to dupe the, uh, you know, make copies of each slide was very expensive. And newspapers and magazines in the UK, let's say, are based in London primarily. So they needed to send bike couriers to pick these pictures up, always last minute, as everything always is, still is. So if you can imagine, there's no point in being trying to get hold of a photographer pre email in Chamonix for a, a picture of a town in Chamonix. They needed the picture this afternoon. Yeah. And they, I was a one-stop shop for a picture of Chamonix, a picture of Kelly Slater, a picture of a skateboarder in California. Yeah. So suddenly Buzz Pictures had that market. And as the internet kicked off, we thought, wow, this is really going to take off. But actually, as it turned out, on a slightly... Uh, curveball the internet took off and absorbed all the picture libraries and reduced the actual worth of the images so because images were so widely available by that point yeah it's devalued them so, so how, how long did it how long did that last then when you could have this model i'd say we probably had about five years okay and then what you you just discontinued it because it was we shut shut I I bought out the partners and shut the office and that side of um, syndicating extreme sports went online and I gave it to other agents to I think look after because it wasn't worth having the office and the manpower sure to do it yeah and yeah. I carried on with my route of being commissioned for shoots for. Condé Nast Traveller to Esquire to F1 Racing or whatever it was to shooting the images and then 
syndicating those but in a slightly that I'd gone from free sports um, to more niche sort of uh, things that couldn't be copied yeah because you so you pointed out this Stallone picture in your book which I'm definitely going to put on Sylvester Stallone the golf one you were saying well, that that's was a like very early you were saying that was an early example of this that where you it was so this is Stallone in I, his, I was in actually his plus, plus fours that's before <laughs> Buzz that's before Buzz Pictures so it's a funny story really there, um, I was a junior photographer so going back again to I don't know 93 or something and um, I was doing a PR job for All Sport I think it was Reebok or something like that launching a shoe at Fox Hills Country Club um, <laughs> golf in Surrey terrible sort of you know a tennis player probably a very sort of low down sort of tennis player promoting these shoes or something sure and um, I remember I mean, it was a long time ago but the, um, the son of the owner of Fox Hills Country Club I remember not too dissimilar age to myself at that point I guess what about 20 odd saying to me oh we get all sorts of uh, big name celebrities come down and play golf here why don't you come down and um, take some pictures or you know play golf with us you know I'm regularly playing with Al Pacino or <laughs> these hi- and he was throwing out the biggest <laughs> names I mean they were ridiculous it right. was it was like it really was ridiculous well you know? Stallone why don't you come down and have lunch you know with yeah. Madonna tomorrow or something. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was so ridiculous I was yeah. like yeah 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 yeah. Like here's what? my card yeah if ever you know Al Pacino gives you a shout and says you know anyone around <laughs> to play golf give me a call and I'll come down take some pictures and we'll have lunch yeah anyway sure enough a couple of weeks later he phones me and he says I'm playing golf with Sylvester Stallone on Sunday <laughs> the morning obviously don't tell anyone but why don't you come down take a few pictures and we'll have some sunday lunch i said yeah that sounds nice day great do you play golf i don't i, I don't <laughs> actually no <laughs> although i did shoot for a golf mag but yeah anyway so sure enough i go down you know six o'clock in the morning <laughs> sylvester turns up in his helicopter gets out yeah nice to meet you just like that just like that we wander around it's like a little fashion shoot he's in his plus fours it really is the most normal you know he plays nine holes holding the you know the tee and the set up I'm standing in front of you know I'm sort of moving him around for this shoot <laughs> which he's not even he's just come to play golf but seems to be okay with right and then sure enough we sit down for Sunday lunch and we have a chat and it, his manager comes along at the end and says, oh, did you get some nice pictures of Sly? If, you know, if you've got any good ones, why didn't you come along to the set of, uh, I think it was Pinewood or Shepparton or one of those, we're filming Judge Dredd. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. So, next day, I process all these pictures. They're absolute perfect morning light beautiful summer's day that's shot gr- on well, the that's a great shot shot on the perfect lens you know yeah. perf- a, a perfect formula golf shots yeah and um i give him a set of these prints he shows us around the set you know sylvester Stallone, and 
it is the weirdest thing. And I sell the set of pictures to, I'm going to say it was like News of the World or one of those for, it was like a double page spread on the first, like an exclusive. And I think I got, it was like 14 or 15,000. Right. For that first double page spread. Right. Which at the time, as a junior photographer on about 8,000 a year, (laughs) (laughs) um, was a pretty good shout. Yeah. So So you were like, oh, I'm gone. And then the the shoot went on. I I mean, it was an incredible amount. I went out and bought a brand new BMW. (laughs) Honestly, with, with with that first day's fee. Right. It's a good emblematic story for your career, that one. It is. And it, what a lovely day. <laughs> do you think the success that you've had is is quite a lot to do with your ability to sort of move between these worlds, though? Because you are, you are comfortable shooting golf with Stallone as sort of thrown down with Slater. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, you do seem to move at ease between these different worlds, which I don't think is that well, common. I, th- I think as a photographer... It's a necessary skill. You, when you're shooting sort of big name celebrities, you have to be used to moving people around because there is a lot of egos, not necessarily with the person you're photographing, but dealing with the agents, dealing with the situation, dealing with the location. Sure. There's a lot of trapping. There's, sort of, there's, there's a, a lot, lot of things to go wrong before you even get in front of the person that you're going to photograph. And then get into the next job it is sort of it needs to be quite seamless and you need to move through it quite quickly and confidently so and confidently yeah. yeah it really they need they need the security if you've got a really big name you know over the years bill gates to huge name huge names the um they don't want to see this is your first job. They don't want you tiptoeing around like, yes, no. sir, no, sir, three bucks full, sir. No. And the client doesn't want to worry about can yeah. you deal with this situation? You, who's who's the mug sort of thing? They want to they want to send someone that's going to come back with results. Yeah. And you can totally understand that. It's their job on the line. Of course. Picking you to then get someone to, that's going to do something. And yeah. if it goes wrong, they understand that you're going to do everything and a lot of jobs what going back to what's behind the pictures yeah. I really think is every photographer will have a million stories on this especially with the sort of celebrity angles yeah that you've gone to do a job and you know they've refused to do different things or turned up you know all, all sorts of crazy stories but that is that they need to know that, that when they've spent the money flying you across the world to do a picture of someone, yeah. that you're going to come back with something. Yeah. So did you learn that early on? That always come quite naturally to you? That ability to kind of yeah, nego- negotiate those situations? Yeah, I think so. I think, and you, I was with uh, another photographer earlier today and um, we were talking, it was a bit like the film, that Leonardo DiCaprio film, Catch Me If You Can, Yeah. where you, if you really have to believe your blag is so good and so confident that everyone around you believes otherwise it, it won't work yeah well Show it, no fear it's it's that's it, a basically cheesy as it is that is a life lesson isn't it yeah that you, that you need to learn yeah i mean doing these is is the same 
you know like turning up for interviews and like you say if you're confident and you can project this confidence people just trust you don't they they're, exactly. just, ba- they're just basically like, oh he knows what he's doing but as soon as you start flapping you know but i still d- i don't find it that easy like i i definitely there's been a few of them where i've definitely had to have a word with myself and oh you've done some great names on there yeah and a couple of them have been scary you know where i've where i've had to be like okay sort yourself out you know get through this kind of thing but and when we did the trip to the states like owen who took all my pictures he's, he struggled with it sometimes he won't I'm sure he won't mind me saying this but it's a couple of times <laughs> especially like taking pictures of other photographers as well you know because yeah. it is about projecting this this confidence and you know well where we sit today uh, i photographed steven soderberg and i photographed ron howard that's a george great, lucas that's a great shot of ron howard in there actually l- lots of big i'd say the majority apart from spielberg of the directors around the, the biggest names yeah and that's quite a strange thing when you're positioning a director yeah <laughs> and you think my god he knows really his, is. He, he knows what he's up to he knows his angles <laughs> yeah <laughs> he can see right through me <laughs> yeah he, <laughs> he knows what i'm doing there yeah. yeah so do you who's who have you been intimidated by or do you or does it just not happen no no definitely i'm it's not so much intimidated, but you, last year I did Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. Iovine, yeah, for what, for the... Uh, it was Apple, I was shooting it with the Apple and Beats. Yeah. For their just Netflix. Just around the documentary. Yeah. Wow. I mean, those are big characters. Yeah, right. It was the only shoot they were doing in Europe. And it was going to all sorts of places, the, the images. And you've only got a few minutes with them and you know that they well you've you've been told that they hate having their picture taken then it's it you not so much nerves but your sort of adrenaline's going yeah when before they turn up okay right we're gonna start here we're gonna get the you always get the cover let's say in the bag yeah and then you worry about everything else right like so we got we're gonna start with shot one and then we're going to move on to shot two. And then we're going to move on to shot three. But shot one, that is the money. Yeah. So le- as soon as you've got it in the bag, I mean, I, you shoot now to laptop or to computer, how, you know, screens. How do you, sorry, it's me being a bit of an ignoramus, but how do you know that? Is that like, do you just evaluate the situation? So you get there, you see the location, you see the character, you see the personality, and you go, right, that's the shot. Can well, it's it. Sometimes you or, or is it pre-planned? Like I'm just interested, really, because obviously no, that's no. such a process that you've described. Annoyingly, yeah. on my shoots, this is probably not the same for Mario Testino, but they're um, <laughs> my shoots. I'm it, we're given a location, and then you have to work with that location. Not always in inside, but you know we live in. England and a lot of the shoots are here so you're in a wind tunnel they're, they're generally scared of weather so we yep. normally studio or a hotel so I'm trying to think of a recent one um, I um, they'll hire somewhere like Claridge's top floor of Claridge's and they'll remove all of the furniture out of a suite let's say and they'll say right okay there you go there's your there's your uh, room to photograph whoever it is and you go in there and there's like a headboard, but no head, no, no bed. <laughs> and, um, you know, this sort of 
an old sort of frumpy. This is what I mean. Cause you, it's, cause it's really hard. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like it's like, not like right, it's okay. not like you're phoning them up and saying, right, I want this, this, yeah. this, and this. Yeah. Like, and you've got this in your mind's eye. You're being. This is what I'm getting at. You obviously being given these uh, pretty, excuse me, dodgy parameters that you got to work with. Yeah. and You got to bang it out. Because well, you got Do- you got Doctor Dre outside looking at his watch. It. So in. <laughs> So this is where having done a lot of these type of shoots, experience really does pay because sure, you're going, yeah. right, okay, right. We use the hallway or down downstairs in that room, there's a great colored wall or what we do is we're, if we're shooting there, we'll definitely take a different backdrop with us as a back, you know, backup. And then you might take, you, you'll try and take sort of cool stands or lights or sort of maybe props that maybe could you could work with or have it in this out of focus sort of in the background but sometimes it and and this can go the other way you'll be given um a location i the other day i shot gloria estefan and yeah, i saw that on your, on your facebook overlooking yeah. mayfair that kind of worked and when someone says, well, right, we're, this is your location, it overlooks London, you've got this amazing day, huge star, you know, and you've got all the time in the world and you can do whatever. And then you get up there and you go, I just can't see, you know, this, for some reason, the, the interior of the room looks horrible. It looks like it's a, you know, mishmash of some sort of Arab hotel with, sort of a trust house 40 floor yeah, like and then chintzy. and you, you look around and you think there's no clean lines which is is always your sort of go-to you'll look for something clean yeah because that is class you want the sort of classic really um not too chintzy not nothing you want the classic simple background all about the star but then sometimes you just can't find it you, no matter how much you look you can't see it right and you'll try all of your the pictures you can see you your millions of sort of pictures you've looked at of shoots of yeah all the photographers before you maybe not in that room but yeah you know on the you'll be shooting through the inside of the glass they'll be on the inside and you'll be on the outside and you'll think oh maybe a reflection will work yeah you just can't get anything but it doesn't make sense because you've been given this amazing location but you can't find it and then sometimes be a terrible room <laughs> absolute you know motel from hell and the you think yeah stand over there and it looks great no matter what right. it can go wrong yeah yeah everyone looks great yeah. the light the natural <laughs> light coming through the you know like the, the curtain or it's a wooden wall and it sort of gives that nice sort of reflective light you think wow this is amazing i've done nothing this looks brilliant yeah and other times you've gone along there like Steven Spielberg with a billion pounds worth of lights and you cannot, for the life of you, make it work. Right. What's your favourite picture that you of yours, obviously? My favourite ever picture? Um, wow. Or, you know, what's the one that you're proudest uh, of that you think captures something? I am... Um, well, that's hard because... I've gone through, I love sport and I love travel for like the Condé Nast Travelers and that kind of stuff. And repertage I love for, you know, we did like National Geographic across South Africa and 
safaris and beautiful beautiful landscapes and animals and i love underwater and i love the the buzz of yeah going back there like dr dre or someone like that and you think wow that and that's you, you capture some shot that you think no one else has got and could be timeless in you know hundreds of years or whatever so no it's really hard to generically sort of pick a picture um portrait wise i I, t I took a picture of vinnie jones which i think is quite iconic of mine oh is this sort in of the loaded in the loaded days in the loaded sort of and it's, it's in the book it was when he was um any sort of lock stock type the reinvention of vinnie jones it was yeah he was his actor and i went to la to shoot him on a boat i hired a speedboat and um off santa monica and took this massive sun seeker and him all off the coat and he had just moved to la and um i took this picture of him a portrait and i that's pretty i'd say that pretty much sums vinnie up as much as it could of that era oh yeah i recognize Not he's it. the biggest name but i just quite like the yeah he's got such a character face scary and that is face. a scary looking <laughs> uh, scary looking picture of him yeah so but you yeah. may are you mainly shooting now like are you still doing any syndication stuff or well i've got age i this week actually signed with a new agent and i still syndicate all my images but through an agency yeah um, so someone else does the work someone else does the work and then they syndicate around the world it's a changing market i know you've spoken to nick and all the other photographers will have the same i don't want to be negative on it um too much or sort of i hate to sort of i i moan about it too much as it is it the changing of we don't have the magazines are all disappearing where the well, you, the snowboard and the surf magazines have gone now the mainstream mags are gone you know yeah, or going this fast. is what's fascinating about your career though because you of everyone have managed to negotiate this so well like because that obviously has happened and yeah it's a well-worn thing that get, I talk about to people on this a lot and everyone knows about this. You know, it's not an original yeah. observation, the state of the changing media landscape, but you still have managed to, seems to me, cl not cling on, but still make that old model work in a lot of ways. And still well, you, want, you want to take pictures of photography. All you want to do is take pictures. Yeah. I've got three kids and a wife and I live in London and they are gold diggers, those kids. And the <laughs> wife, my God, she makes Beyonce look cheap. <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms of yeah, you've, you've got, got, few, got to go to work. You've got a few horses to, to keep to keep up. What else are you going to do now? I mean, I really looked at it. I, I think my dancing days are gone. I think no, I just you want to <laughs> take you want to take pictures. You want to see them. I love still seeing them in print. Yeah, you want to see them somewhere apart from Instagram. And you want to make money out of it. I, I've not monetized the social media. I feel, I don't, I don't, I love it, but I have a sort of love-hate relationship actually with social media. But um, I well, can see it as a great platform. Don't, don't we all? <laughs> I, I, yeah, and everyone does, yeah. It's a real mental health issue. Yeah. But um, in terms of, I love seeing the visuals, but 
I'll I do a shoot, put a picture up of I can think of an incredible amount of uh, people. I, I photographed Boris Becker and uh, the magazine will use the picture and then I'll put the picture up on the social media and then they'll steal the picture for right. everything. Yeah, so you'll yeah. get no return on it. And it's like, lovely, that my picture's out there and it's got your name on it, but I need to pay the mortgage. And yeah. We don't need to get do down to Lidl and get some food, that kind of stuff. <laughs> you don't <laughs> shop at Lidl, Neil. <laughs> I can guarantee that. Um, yeah, well, you you know, you're in the position you can just dabble with social media, can't you? You don't need well, to. I d but I really want to see... So I, I, you, the magazines and the newspapers are such a changing market. The budgets have gone <laughs> where they're really flying you around well and or even flying you around. Even putting you on a bus now is an actual <laughs> event. So um, I, th I think, but you want to you wanna go and take pictures and you, you don't want to be, I always think people get, um, people will say, right, okay, you're a sports photographer, you're a music photographer, you're a reportage photographer. And really, if you're just a photographer, you're, you, you generally can shoot a combination of things. And if you can use lighting you really can do, it's all about lighting and no matter what it is, whether it's landscape, people, cars, anything, it's all about lighting. So if you can do that, you, you, you can go across the board. So you go, right, okay, what do I enjoy? So as a you know, young guy, I am, you know, you <laughs> say, right, what do I enjoy? I enjoy travel. Wow, you know, so right, okay, hit all the travel magazines. Where are we going? <laughs> Phone all the magazines, where are we going? you know celebrity you know you look through that's really all that sells as long as you're not interested in love island and you want high-end celebrity because you don't want someone who is so niche that they're forgotten tomorrow and yeah. you want a global star because syndication is no good a holly somewhat syndicating a picture of someone in Hollyoaks is not going to go well in germany or <laughs> japan so you want a global star or a music icon or whatever that will then or a sell person. around the world. Yeah. That picture has no language barrier. Luckily, photography really hasn't got into that yet. So yeah. we're the still image is still needed of that footballer, of that singer, of that actor around the world to go with that interview. Yeah. So hopefully if they are hard to get hold of and you can get hold of them yeah you can take that picture which is iconic and you can still make well, a living out of well it. you you can because you've been doing this 30 years but i guess and this probably be the last question because i reckon we're going to get a pint but um if you and we, i don't normally do this often on air but i'm gonna ask that question like you know if someone listened to this he's he's thinking okay that's great you know you 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 can sit there and get a picture with Spielberg or whoever but if you're going to start out now like where where do you start like if you're you know if there's a kid that's listening who's like wants to make money from photography like where, w what would you tell them because it's so different from when you started you know you you've earned the right to still basically do it the way that you do it but that I, is not I would avoid that question I really um I have a lot of every job we have a sort of younger assistants and a couple of them have gone on to do really I was with Channel 4 today and one of them shooting loads of stuff for Channel 4 and he's doing really well and he's a great photographer. But it's a really hard living now and 
super competitive with much lower fees. But if you want to do it like anything and you want to be the best at it, there is a living. If you want to be a mediocre anything, it's not for you. It is uber competitive as it always has been, but now for less money unless it's, but I think that of a lot of things, would you be a surfer? for the money you know it's like you wouldn't you want to be a surfer yeah you, you do you want to and you want to compete and you want to be better than the guy down the road yeah well it's it's another so maybe that and maybe the <coughs> you want to travel with your camera <laughs> but that is um but then that's going back to the social media thing but you i'm not sure where it's going and i've dabbled with moving image and i think you want to be a triple threat in terms of you can do anything you want to be when someone can hire you can you shoot film can you shoot stills can you shoot you know like you you want to be able to cover it all cover all bases yeah and that gives you a wider market and don't be maybe don't be so niche yeah on your perspective for now <clears throat> maybe just get out there and get some work and then later on you can go, okay, right, I really enjoy that bit of, might not even be as a sports photographer or a snowboard photographer, let's say, or whatever. You might say, wow, I really want to do that. But okay, God, there's loads of guys who are just shooting the events and they give away the pictures. What is the point of me standing on the edge of a half pipe yeah. shooting the same picture as 25 other guys? I tell you what, I stand down the end, at the end, I'll take all their bibs off and I'll make a mini studio and I'll take portraits of them in a really unusual way. Maybe that's my little niche as opposed to the 25 guys who are laying on the edge of the half pipe the taking angle. the same picture yeah. that's been there for 25 years. Yeah. So maybe my advice would be they're still still there, but you've got to maybe look harder. Yeah. Thanks, man. That was good. The wind tunnel wasn't too bad, was it? Yeah, what? Yeah. I mean, hopefully it's okay. That was <laughs> <laughs> it's better than the better than the interior of the bar. Um, Brilliant. Thanks very much. Nah, it was wicked, man. It's going to get a beer. So there you go. That was my conversation with Neil Haynes. I hope you enjoyed it. Really great to spend a few hours catching up with Neil. And uh, I hope you got something out of his account of how he carved out such an amazing career for himself. I mean, we didn't even scratch the surface, really. Um, when we stopped recording, he casually told me that he owned the rights to uh, the last pictures of Concord, which was a ridiculous story in its own right. So uh, if I get him back on again, I'll get him to talk about that one. Right, housekeeping corner. And the main bit of housekeeping is to say thanks, really, for the amazing response to Type 2. It's been really brilliant to hear how well that first episode with Greg Long went down. Pretty much everyone seemed to enjoy the concept in the first episode. I mean, listening back, as with any project, I can hear many ways I could have up my own game. So I'm looking forward to finessing the concept in future shows. I'll be releasing episodes every month or so. And as I've been saying to here, you just need to subscribe to this show on the usual platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and all the rest. Great response to the Elias Elhart episode as well. And also thanks to the people who listen to my kind of 
meandering rant at the end of that one and got in touch to let me know what they thought about it. Quite illuminating hearing the thoughts of people on that. A couple of replies. I enjoy the raw form your podcast takes, not overproduced, etc. Gives it an honest quality that an overproduced version might not have. Another one came in along similar lines. Yet, yeah, just listened. I'm one of the diodes that go through to the very end every week. Cannot stress enough to keep doing what you're doing. Yes, visuals would be good, but your step up into more polished terrain is covered in your type 2 stuff. So keep it hobo and a little ramshackle. That shit is what makes these things so relatable and so good to hear week on week. Now, regular listeners will know how much I love accomplice salt. And I must admit, I had no idea that uh, rawness and ramshackleness with such defining characteristics of my work. Um, interesting stuff. Goes to show you never really know how your work is going to land with other people. And really, you've got no fucking idea about how it comes across to other people. So yeah, it's really helpful actually. Keep the messages coming in because, uh, well, I like reading them. So there you go. And speaking of messages, I'm going to finish this episode by reading one out, which actually really moved me. This was from Tim Clark who emailed and wrote, dude, thanks for making my walking physio a bit more interesting. In one of your podcasts I was listening to, the guy whose house burnt down in Malibu, you guys were talking about how the negatives in life don't get talked about and how you adapt, cope with it. I can relate to that having had a stroke two years ago, which left me with serious brain damage, causing hemiplegia, I'm going to say. I've never actually heard of that. Now, after lots of hard work, becoming hemiplesis, I'm going to look those up, but I'm assuming they're stroke-related conditions that I'm unaware of. Anyway, I'll continue. Through this experience, I went into survival mode, saying what I needed to say when I could remember the words and doing what I needed to do for physio to recover. One thing I've been recently doing is a bit more walking, which I find tedious. The upside is I decided to give your podcast a listen to. They're interesting and remove the boredom from tedious walks along the cycle track. You've also inspired me to get in touch with my creative side online a bit more. I'm going to try and start my own clothing line, hopefully linked to snowboarding, another love of mine, and also my fun physio. I'm aiming to get to the 2022 Winter Paralympics with para snowboard. I'd never have managed to spend as much time on boarding before my accident as I do now. Silver linings. Thanks for your great content. Now to find some more podcasts I like. Regards, Tim. That is an amazing email, Tim. Thank you so much. I'm pretty humbled that you've got so much out of the show. Thanks for letting me know. Um, that's it for this week. I'm actually off to Munich in a day or so for the new ISPO Outdoor Festival, which has seen the annual industry outdoor show move from Friedrichshafen to Munich. I, for one, am gutted about that. I think I was about the only person that actually liked going to Friedrichshafen each year. But no, now we're going back to Munich. This time in the height of summer, we're going to be back in the Mesa. This is niche, by the way. So I'll see you later if you do want to go, um, which I'm guessing is going to be minging because there's a there's a heat wave going on. Ah, oh, well, hopefully I can tick off a few episodes while I'm at it. All right, that's it for this week. Back again soon. Nice one. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.